Welcome to the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, where it's all about slashing your debt, slashing your taxes, and creating a liberated lifestyle. And now, your host, who met his wife while training for the 400 meters in Seattle and is eating gluten-free while lusting after bread, Dave Denniston. Hello, my friends. This is Dave Denniston, and welcome back to the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, the podcast dedicated to helping doctors like you slash your debt, slash your taxes, and live a liberated lifestyle. And my friends, I am just so happy to be reporting to you that the podcast listenership has more than tripled over the last year. So we've had lots of growth in the podcast, so I just want to thank you so much for taking time out of your super busy and compressed schedule to spend some time with me and to learn together and to grow together. And I did want to mention, since uh, this podcast has been around for three years and we have a lot of new listeners, uh, I have, after a whole lot of work, put a whole bunch of episodes back up and available, and they are going to be actually pulled uh, about the the first season. It's going to be pulled down here real soon. So if you want access to all episodes of the podcast, I'm doing a little experiment here within the podcast to see uh, if people might be interested in owning the whole library themselves. And in order to do that, I am offering the tax reduction prescription workbook as a bonus when you buy that from me. The whole library, hundreds of hours of episodes of the podcast, uh, but even more importantly, you get a book, an ebook of the tax reduction prescription for physicians. You can pick up both of those things by texting in less taxes. That's all one word, L-E-S-S-T-A-X-E-S, less taxes to 44222. Again, less taxes, L-E-S-S-T-A-X-E-S to 44222. Well, my friends, um, this episode today, one of the new missions of the podcast, I really have had it on my heart that I want to help to create a hundred new physician multimillionaires using some of the methods that we've had guests come on and talk about the podcast, some experiments I'm doing myself. I announced last week with the quarterly update that uh, one of the things that I am interested in is land. And so we're going to explore into that here a little bit more today. Um, But more than anything, we've had some really super guests bring some great knowledge about real estate. And before I did an episode on burnout, season two, episode 37, the three ways to combat physician burnout. And in that episode, my friends, I brought together three past podcast guests and kind of spliced together some information. So with all the talk we've had about real estate this year, I wanted to do that with real estate. And one episode I have to tell you that I missed out on was Peter Kim's episode. So make sure to check out the Peter Kim episode from early this season, early in season three. And also just a heads up next week, we're having another guest talking about real estate, Tyler Sheff, who focuses a lot on multifamily, which we have not had before. So make sure to look out on the episode with Tyler Sheff. Uh, With no further ado though, my friends, let's get into this episode. And 
here in just a moment, you are, a lot of the questions I get was, how do I get started? How do I get started in a real estate? And so you're going to experience here a one minute journey into how a physician got started in real estate. Maybe you're wondering how much time does it take? Uh, he talks about that and those real estate adventures. Should I do this myself? Should I hire it, hire it out? Um, so learn a little bit from his journey here in the next minute. Well, when we started our practice, my wife and I, you know, when we moved here, um, we started out like normal, accumulated a whole bunch of debt. Uh, I, in the first chapter of the Doctor's Guide to Eliminating Debt, I actually told my story about how I accumulated a bunch of debt and then decided to pay it off. But when we paid it all off, I had been in practice for about eight years and it became debt-free. And we were saying, okay, now what are we going to do with this money now? Are we going to have a whole bunch of extra money every month? What are we going to do with it? And we decided to get into real estate. And so um, I started buying uh, properties. Uh, I now own uh, 64 rentals. And up until a few years ago, I also managed them while I was a full-time general surgeon. Oh, wow. And so um, when you learn how to do it well and you automate everything, it, it, it doesn't take very much time. I, I manage 64 units on about 10 to 15 hours a month of my time uh, while I was a full-time general surgeon. And then you mentioned earlier on that I became, you know, working in these rural areas, helping uh, solo doctors get some time off. When I started mm -hmm. doing that and traveling around, I could no longer manage the properties because mm -hmm. I wouldn't be here. And so I then, a few years ago, had to turn them all over to a property management company. And so I haven't been hands-on managing them now for a, a few years. But for probably 12 years, I was the manager. So that was Corey Fawcett, again from Episode 3, Season 20. That was Stop Digging with Corey Fawcett. Now, uh, the next particular guest I want to bring back was from season one, episode 10, Josh Metal. Josh is someone that specializes in physician mortgages for doctors, obviously. And not only does he specialize in mortgages, but he invests a ton in real estate. And so I asked Josh the question of what does one need to do now that they know they want to get started in real estate? What should they be looking for? What does kind of, of deals, uh, what should they be thinking about in terms of finances? And here is Josh. You know, whether you're attending or uh, still in residency or fellowship, I think these are these are pretty much going to apply. Uh, first and foremost, I think that one ought to consider cash flow. And I remember in the buildup to the crash, there was so much talk about, you know, if I can just break even on this property, which means break even with payment and you're negative with expenses, then I can sell in a year or two because appreciation will take me. And that's not investing in real estate. That is called gambling. There's no <laughs> difference to that type of, of, uh, of behavior or thought process than there is with putting $50,000 on black or red at the roulette table. It's just not um, something that you can create a sustainable plan and, and not end up getting burnt on. So the first thing I would say is that you have to have cash flow. So when you're evaluating uh, a property, you want to make sure that you've really got your arms wrapped around what your payment's going to be, that's your principal interest, your taxes and insurance, what your operating expenses are going to be. 
Um, I, I think that your management fees, if you're going to self-manage, which means you or your spouse are going to go over and collect the rent every month, um, you're probably going to be somewhere in the range of about 20%. If you're going to move out of town and you're going to have a management company do that for you, you're probably looking at closer to 30%. So you've got to know your payment. You've got to know your taxes. You've got to know your insurance. You've got to know your management, your vacancy, your upkeep, or, or operating expenses. And, uh, and then the third thing is you uh, really have got to pick an area that you feel comfortable in and that you think will have a good lifespan for being easy to, to rent. So there was some really sound advice from Josh Metal, and a lot of that really rang true with me in terms of what you need to get started. And one of my concerns has always been personally with investing in real estate is you have to have 20% down. So we're going to talk about owner financing here shortly. Um, but one of the, the things in terms of how you get started that some people certainly go to realtors. Our next guest, Larry Harbolt from season 321, The Real Deal, Larry Harbolt, he um, emphasizes doing a letter writing campaign because he says you need to get in front of the seller yourself. Don't outsource the work of actually trying to talk to people because that's where you find great deals. So really solid advice from Larry in just a moment. Well, first of all, you've got to know your marketplace. So no matter where you live, you have to know the properties in your area. And if you don't have time to do that, you need someone you can trust that knows your area that can give you quality advice. And as far as I do letters, my wife and I send out letters. Now, we've hired people to hand address the envelopes and the letter and mail them out. We provide the stuff. So if you don't have the time, you can hire people to do it. And one of the unique things that we did in the past, we hired an elderly lady to hand address our envelopes who had very shaky handwriting. And that was a blessing because that shaky handwriting, I guarantee my letters got opened when others got thrown in the trash because everybody wants to see what's in a letter from grandma. That was a blessing. But then she passed away, so we've had to find other ways of doing it. My point is, know your market, know the values in your area, or get with somebody that does as far as working with real estate agents. I never look in the multiple listing service. Now, the reason being, to me, the MLS is like a bowl. In that bowl are little pieces of paper with property addresses on them. When those properties get listed, the people that do tons of deals, they know their market, they have unlimited cash, they pick out the choice ones. So by the time we get there, we have leftovers. So as listed in the MLS, I don't think there's a good deal in there. Another point, the real estate agents, they're good salespeople, but many of them try to keep you away from the seller. I have to talk to the seller so I can find out what they need and create a deal that's good for my family. I hope it's good for their family until we come to an agreement. So it's very, very important you understand the, the market that you want to go after. 
Some may want to go after single-family homes. Some may want to go after multiple units. But the critical part of all of it, you must know the numbers. And that's, it, it's all based on numbers, not on price. Price is less relative if you're going to pay the seller over time and you don't have to get an appraisal. And so I can give a little bit more than what the property may be worth if I can get an affordable payment that will allow me to rent it and cash flow it. So as you can tell, Larry is not a big fan of working with real estate agents. And Josh Metal, uh, getting back to Josh once again, he has a rule where he will buy properties. And he'll talk to realtors, he'll talk to all kinds of various people. Uh, but he uses a rule that made me laugh, but I think is absolutely true in terms of when you're looking for real estate, where to buy it, what location should be look be looking for. So here we go back to Josh. And, and then maybe one more thing that I might say in terms of neighborhood. Um, uh, I use this barometer because it's it's so simple for, for one to understand. I'm, I partner with my wife and my mom in our real estate businesses, and we self-manage. And so when we make the decision to buy a property, one of my litmus tests is, could I send my pregnant wife into that neighborhood at night to collect rents and feel comfortable? And if I can't send my mom or my pregnant wife into the neighborhood to collect rents, it doesn't go in my rental pool. All right, my friends, I love the pregnant wife rule in terms of where you should be buying the real estate. So let's say now you've gone on this journey, you found a place that you like, you have an offer of some sort, you certainly have the option of potentially using bank financing. And for me, I'm someone who tends to be fairly debt averse. You can see uh, in some of the things I do, I'm certainly willing to take the risk, although I have put down a fair amount of equity uh, with my latest purchases. And I got into an interesting conversation with uh, Damien Lupo, who was the guest in season three, episode 12, Get Dirty, where we talked about debt being a four letter word. And then right after that, um, Larry Harbolt is going to talk about something that I think is very uh, good thing to look at for particularly residents, fellows, young attendings, where you already have so much student debt, you want to get started in real estate, you don't have much cash, what do you do? And it's owner financing. So Larry is going to talk about that. And then I'm going to take you back to uh, Damien in terms of how he got started and his first deal uh, when he was pretty much broke and how that came about for him through owner financing. It's funny because debt is truly a four-letter word for a lot of people. And it's and I, I am of the same mindset that Grant Cardone talks about where where he's going to go out and he wants he wants to use debt to, to buy property, not to live in, but to rent out because he wants to use debt to create assets and wealth. And the, the misnomer is that we should go get the biggest house possible and get a bunch of debt. And because we get to write it off on our taxes, that's a smart move. That to me is a stupid idea because it locks you down. It doesn't give you flexibility. And that house, like Robert Kiyosaki says, is truly not an asset because it's not feeding you. It's eating you. And so if we think about debt that can be used to buy assets, and the most common form of that is, is real estate, then we can start using it as a tool for us instead of being used against us. 
it's debt is not in itself good or bad. It's just how we use it. And, and because money is being printed out of thin air and mo- our entire monetary system is based on, on debt, it would make sense for us to use that system and not have it used against us. If we're saving money and the Federal Reserve is printing money, we're basically losing a, a game that we cannot win. We've got to f- get smarter and start using debt to our advantage because if you can go out there and borrow money like right now, 3 4 5% and have an asset that's going to pay you for the rest of your life, that makes a lot more sense than going out and just having a house that you're going to sit in and that's going to consume you that you have to work for every month. One of the things I teach all of my students, when you go to someone's house to try to buy that property, if you can't make a deal with the seller to give you good terms at a, at a payment you can afford, I always tell them, then try to do a rent to own. And this is for those of you that may not have a lot of money but want to get started. If you can't buy it with terms that will allow you to cash flow it, I always suggest do a rent to own, a lease option. You lease it with a right to someday buy the property. At least it gets you in, in control. You're controlling the property with a lease. If they won't do a rent to own, I recommend trying to get a master lease with a right to sublease. So you you go well armed with three different strategies. It's about cash flow. And you have to understand if I can lease a property with a right to sublease, I may have to agree to pay the first hundred dollars a month of any damage done, but my tenant's gonna agree to pay the first hundred and twenty five. But my point is if I can't buy it, I'm gonna try to do a rent own. If I can't get a rent own, I'm gonna try and just get a lease and make cash flow. With that lease, you have no taxes to pay. You have no insurance on the property. You don't have to fix the big things. You may take care of some small things like holes in the wall, but the big things, the owner still pays, and you can make a nice cash flow on that. That's a way of doing it many times when a seller is inflexible and you can't buy the property. I don't think she she may have walked away with a thousand or two. It was, it was fairly small. She just wanted to save her credit and and be done. Yeah. She was she was trying to move. She was behind. I don't I don't remember the circumstances seventeen years ago. But uh, the the reality is I solved her problem, and that's that's what we have to keep in mind when we're doing these creative deals or real estate is we're, we're solving a problem, and and so I, I solved that problem. The house was probably if I was to put it on the market, it was worth maybe 115 or 120, which doesn't seem like a lot. But the way that I was structuring things back then, and, and it's definitely the same thing today, I, I was selling it on terms, which means that I was the bank. So somebody came to me and said, I want to buy the property. I don't want to go to the bank. And so I financed it. I was the I was the owner carrying bank. Basically, they gave me a down payment of, of a few thousand dollars, and then they made payments to me. So the idea was that the payments to me would be more than my payments to the bank. And and that's one of the ways that you can create wealth out of thin air because you can make up the value of the house. I think I sold it for um, for one hundred and forty or $150,000 and you get to make it up because you're, you're creating value basically through the financing that you're putting in place for the new buyer that that couldn't otherwise own a home. So that was that was one of the ways that I was printing money like the Federal Reserve. It was my own little money printing machine. So all of this so far, uh, for me personally, I, I still look at real estate in terms of homes, multifamily, uh, even if you 
can get owner financing, you're still taking a good deal of risk in terms of having to lay out cash for one thing or another. So for me personally, with all these other different ventures that I am wanting to do, cash is just so important for me personally that uh, I, I was interested in real estate. I've helped my parents in the past with some of their real estate. We'll leave, leave that tale for another day with uh, my experiences with my folks place that um, I knew I wanted to do something, but I wasn't sure what that was. And that leads us to our next guest, Mark Podolsky, the land geek, who you can find at the Art of Passive Income podcast. Uh, he was our guest here on this podcast in season three, episode 19, How to Be a Land Geek. And what caught my imagination with Mark were, um, number one, it took some of the principles that we learn about from Larry and Damien and our other guests. And what attracted to me to land investing is basically, as you listen to him, there, do, there doesn't need to be much capital put into it. Uh, it certainly takes some capital to find deals, but you don't have to worry about big cash outlays uh, when you are trying to essentially flip land. So we are delving into that, my wife and I, at the time this podcast is going out, we'll have just gotten back from his uh, boot camp, where we will then put into action everything that we've learned. And so my friends, as we, we delve into this podcast um, and Mark's particular episode and some clips from it, I want you to really listen to uh, how this works, how he's finding deals, how he sells the deals, and then finally, the tax consequences. Then we'll wrap up this episode with some final thoughts. They're paying, having to pay property taxes just for holding the dang thing, and maybe they don't have the money. And so they've fallen behind on their property taxes, which might be, I don't know, $100 a year or $500 a year, I guess, depending upon the the size of the thing. And so you're somehow identifying this person who's in this tough spot where they could lose their property. Exactly. So they're distressed in some way. So this asset now becomes a liability. And so what we'll do is we'll contact the county treasurer and we'll get something called the back tax list, right? And then what we'll do is we'll scrub out all the residential, commercial, industrial property where we get just the vacant land and you can do it by use code VL, right? And then we send them an offer 20 to 30 cents on the dollar, right? So it's really simple to do. We'll look at the market comps, we'll divide by four and we'll send out an offer. Now, three to 5% of those people will accept that offer. We go through our due diligence and we go through a property report, make sure that there's no liens, encumbrances, there's access, something compelling about the property, you know, all these things that you have to learn about raw land. And then we close with our seller. Now we own the property, we get the deed, and then we flip it online. And then we sell that property typically at about a thousand percent return on investment because we're getting our money out on the down payment. And then we have this passive income stream coming in every single month until they pay off their note. It's the neighbors. 
Ah, the neighbors, sure. they live there. They know what's out there, right? And so you send them a letter saying, hey, before I take this to the open market, and you're not going to know who your neighbor is, I'm going to give you first chance and first crack at making your land parcel even larger and protecting your views and protecting your investment, right? Now, what will happen is sometimes is that like, oh, I, I want to sell too. And now you've got even larger parcel to sell, right? Now, let's say, for example, the neighbors pass. The next best place to go to is what we call our buyer's list. So we have uh, an opt-in strategy. Like I have a, a squeeze page called 3FatalLandBuyingMistakes.com. And this is for people, I'm teaching them how to become a better land investor and how to avoid the three fatal land buying mistakes. They give me their email address in exchange. I give them this white paper, right? And then I send them a promotion every single week, deal of the week, right? And then I sell property that way. So every week I'm selling property. Now, the other place I can go is this little website, Dave, you've probably never heard of called Craigslist. But... <laughs> It's the 10th most trafficked website in the United States. And you would not believe how many people buy property every single day from us on Craigslist. And then there's this another little website that you probably never heard of called Facebook. And you go to buy sell groups on Facebook and you put all your property there and it sells. And then if you don't sell on Facebook, you don't sell on Craigslist, you go to landandfarm.com, landwatch.com, landsofamerica.com, landhub.com. It's a massive market. There is a lust for land in this country and nobody doing this. Yeah, so my CPA loves me because the majority of my transactions are on land contracts. So I hold the paper and I own the property for over a year to day and we get the recurring income coming in every single month on an installment sale. And what's interesting is uh, real estate is exempt from like a dealer, right? Like if you're a car dealer and let's say I buy a piece of property for $1,000 and I sell it on $20,000 on an installment sale. Well, if you're a dealer in, in a car, you've got to take that whole $20,000 as income on that day of the sale, even though you're getting payments over time. Well, real estate, we are exempt. And my CPA showed me the, the code on that. So with raw land, as far as the tax implications are concerned, yeah, we make 300% ROI on a, on a land flip, but we make over 1,000% when we do owner financing. So we usually get our money out on the down payment or within six months of the down payment. And then we get this, these payments coming in every single month. We use a software program called LoanGeek.io that's a one-time set it and forget it type of system that manages all of that. And so it's, you know, from, a, from a time standpoint, it's very, very simple to do from a tax standpoint, you know, we do have one disadvantage from, uh, you know, typical conventional real estate because you can't depreciate raw land. So you can get capital gains by holding the property year and day like I do, right, on those gains. All right, my friends. Well, there you have it. This is some of the best advice that I have heard over the last couple of years on real estate investing, and you will be going on the journey with me as my wife and I start our own land investing business. And of course, in the quarterly reports, we are going to be letting you know how things are going with uh, the financial experiment that I already have of the online business, as well as this new one, this land investing business. So be uh, sending good thoughts my way as we go about that process. As we learn, we will pass on those lessons to you. 
And my friends, as, as I mentioned, uh, my goal is to help show you, to help guide you in terms of how you can be multi-millionaire. Uh, because my goal is to turn a hundred of my listeners into multimillionaires, perhaps as they were residents, fellows with hundreds of thousands of dollars in school debt. So I believe that this is something that you could do, whether you listen to any of these people's advice. Real estate certainly is a wonderful wealth creator. There are some ways, certainly, we, we sock away every single month in order to grow piles of money, but this is another way to have an income stream, giving you a chance to step away from medicine. And so, my friends, I want to encourage you. I have a, a thing that I often sign in people's books when they buy it from me, or you might hear it from me on some presentations, and that is knowledge is power. But my friends, in order to have financial freedom, knowledge plus implementation is equal to power and freedom. So what I want you to do here today, you've been listening to this episode, I want you to implement what you've been learning. I want to encourage you to take a step and then another step and then another step. Whether you're buying an online business or you're investing in real estate, find something that really rings true with you and then pursue after it, learn it, and then do it. <laughs> the most important part of all of this. Uh, there's a verse that says, faith without actions is dead. So you can have the faith, my friends, but you have to have corresponding action. So take an action, tape, take a step of faith, take a leap of faith to get yourself going. You may make some mistakes, but as you learn from all of these people, you can see learning from your mistakes, learning from others' mistakes is one of the best ways to make sure that you are taking proper precautions in order for you to, as much as possible, create wealth and grow your wealth now and the future. And so, my friends, that wraps it up for the episode today. As I mentioned, make sure to check out next week when Tyler Chef is coming onto the podcast to talk about how he is investing in real estate, how he thinks about financial freedom, some of the mistakes that he has made along the way, and how you can invest in multi-family type places. For the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, this is Dave Denniston. And remember, my friends, you can text less taxes, L-E-S-S-T-A-X-E-S, to 44222. And you can get a copy of the um, Tax Reduction Prescription Workbook for Physicians, as well as all episodes of this podcast so that you can have them forever and ever to listen back to and learn back to, because very, very, very shortly, we are going to be only having 50 episodes in the feed, which means there'll be more than 50 episodes that you will no longer have access to unless you do this purchase. So again, you can text less taxes, L-E-S-S-T-A-X-E-S to 44222. Thank you again so much for listening. All the best to you. Feel free to reach out to me with any questions, dave at drfreedompodcast.com. Have a good one.